Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Headstock with me, Lane Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk, we listen. My guest today not only is a recognised and respected academic, she has spent 30 years in leadership positions in the social sector. She's a social and environmental justice leader, as well as an ESG expert. Her organisation is nothing short of a lifeline for those underrepresented innovators across the globe, in particular Africa, Australia, Brazil, India and the USA. A very informative conversation ahead at Headstalk as we delve into the achievements, personality and drive of someone that blends anthropology with a philanthropic calling. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Bird Capital. Headstalk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Jacqueline Bouvier-Copland is the founder and CEO of The Wise Fund an innovation impact enterprise providing funds and support to grassroots Black and Indigenous women climate change innovators in various regions across the globe. She's an expert on cultural and ecosystem diversity issues and is recognised by Congress as a history maker for her innovative civic contributions. Trained as an anthropologist and an urban designer, she creates effective equity impact and sustainability strategies for global organisations and movements. Jacqueline has had a number of social sector executive positions in the past to include, but not limited to, the chief operating officer to a number of NGOs, the president and vice president of a number of organisations to include the US Bank private client group, where she served as the national managing director and vice president. A professor, lecturer, curator and author, Jacqueline is a dynamic individual who is regularly sought after for speaking engagements. She holds two master degrees and a PhD in anthropology from the University of Pennsylvania. She also studied African history and culture at the University of Ife in Nigeria under Nobel laureate Wale Soyinka. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jacqueline to Headstalk. Delighted to have you here today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's sort of go straight into the questions. Um, I briefly mentioned the, the WISE Fund in the introduction. Please, for my listeners, elaborate on this. Many of my listeners will not be aware of this. So start from this premise. How was it formed? What is it all about? What is it doing? And where is it going? Uh, certainly. Um, first, I will say, um, again, thank you for having me. The WISE Fund is actually the nickname for the Women Invested to Save Earth Fund. Mm -hmm. And we are a innovation and funding equity enterprise mm -hmm. that supports women-led climate change technology companies and other organizations around the world, I'm particularly focused on the communities that are most vulnerable to the impact of climate change in the US, Africa, Brazil, the Caribbean, also Australia and India. We believe that 
talent is equally distributed around the world, but unfortunately, funding to support the most groundbreaking accessible ideas to address climate change and support women of color entrepreneurs in general is not fairly distributed. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, women of women in general only receive 2% of the world's venture funding and women of color receive less than 1%. Uh, 2.25, only a quarter of a percent mm -hmm. for black women, uh, black entre women entrepreneurs. And so we, we basically go to the world's community and say, uh, we will support the pipeline and bring the pipeline to the larger VCs. Uh, we are asking the community to support entrepreneurs who are creating affordable innovations that can address water shortages. Uh, also um, clean the air, provide um, sustainable lighting for some of the lowest income communities in the world. So we consider ourselves not just an organization, but a movement. Mm -hmm. uh, we provide, uh, many people are aware of the climate crisis. And I always say living it in their living rooms as the incidences of wildfires, floods, and other climate disasters increase in frequency and intensity and are asking the question, what can I do? So one of the things that everyday people can do, whether they're rich or poor, is to give to the women invested to save Earth Fund. We aggregate that funding and do our best to ensure that women of all backgrounds with technological and other solutions to climate change receive the support they need because if they're supported, they could save all of us and the planet. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're gonna go into greater detail about some of the projects that you're working on uh, as well as um, the climate change issues that you talked about. But for the time being, let's look at um, social engagement. You're an advocate for, for corporate social responsibility. Um, what in your view is CSR? Corporate responsibility is simply um, cor corporations recognizing that they are part of broader communities, societies and ecosystems. And in fact, that their very business success is dependent upon whether the, the people and the planet that make their business possible are well. Uh, sick planets produce sick markets mm -hmm. as we are seeing now with the COVID crisis, which very quickly um, in January of last year, um, became an economic crisis. We are in um, a very severe um, uh, recession that particularly in some of the world's most vulnerable communities and even in some of our largest, most vibrant economies has uh, reduced, has brought 
the corporate sector to a halt. So I'm hoping that the COVID experience, one of the lessons learned of it is that we cannot ignore people and the planet and expect that we will have vibrant mm. markets. Mm. People need access. First of all, the world is more interconnected than ever. And human beings are not just commodities or workers or employees. Their basic rights, such as a right to healthcare, as well as just some balance and how we use natural resources to, uh, for manufacturing and for trade need to be in balance so that we're not in a position where we are over exploiting the resources necessary for production and trade and putting ourselves in a position such as we are experiencing today where people, to just put it in very simple layperson's terms, are too sick to work, too sick to be consumers, and the planet is not sufficiently well to uh, sustain the life of consumers and employers and employees that make are the basic foundation for a healthy economy. And so I always say that um, responsible business is in the interest of the entire world. And we're literally at a point where since the industrial revolu revolution, we have, um, we have treated the earth as if it has an endless perpetual supply of resources. Mm -hmm. And now we're at the point where we need to replenish mm -hmm. uh, those resources so we can continue not just with business as usual, but business that is better for the planet and for the people who make business possible. You, you mentioned that um, we're living in an increasingly interconnected world and in parallel with, with the, um, the digital revolution, how has the, the revolution hindered or helped in your work? Uh, well, like most things in life, it is a double-edged sword that needs to be managed carefully. On the one hand, the digital revolution has had the potential to democratize access to, mm -hmm. let me just say, the means of production. Of course, there are all kinds of digital um, commerce, e-commerce, um, instantaneous communications, uh, transfer of currency that is made possible by the internet and especially a secure internet. On the other hand, and I will just mention the emergence even of cryptocurrency, for an example, or this podcast that we're having with my being in the Bay Area of California, USA, and mm -hmm. you're broadcasting someplace from Europe. However, um, there are a whole range of social and environmental issues that emerge with the development and expansion of a digital economy and its infrastructure. Uh, number one, the 
and the access to the digital economy is not evenly distributed. I will use the example of Africa. There are still many communities in Africa, and I would even say in the US, where uh, lowest, the lowest income people do not have access to the internet. Mm -hmm. um, it has been uh, a real issue, particularly in COVID, as um, digital education, virtual classrooms have become absolutely necessary for youth mm -hmm. to continue their education. And they're simply families in the world that do not have access to the internet. Mm -hmm. And so um, digital equity is very important. Um, furthermore, there are certain resources uh, needed such as cobalt um, that are in a very um, rare supply across the world um, to manufacture the, the hardware that the devices that we use to undertake digital commerce. And um, we need to be very conscious of the, um, the human rights abuses that can happen uh, in countries mm -hmm. where the cobalt is mined and uh, come up with some international standards to ensure the basic rights and um, supply of uh, the minerals needed to, to build our hardware. Mm -hmm. And so those are two instances, and this is very true of any technological advance. There are certainly privacy issues. And I will say um, that our, our governments haven't kept up with the development of the information age. And one of the most cutting edge issues is the human rights abuses that artificial intelligence especially through facial recognition uh, and misidentification um, in particular of women and people of color with severe consequences, built-in biases of AI that affect diverse people's access to jobs, um, loans for their businesses, uh, mortgages, um, engagement in the, in the criminal justice system. And so we see a whole um, technology equity and justice movement emerging around the world to address some of these um, um, unanticipated, mm -hmm. in most cases, uh, rights abuses that come out of the opportunities presented by new technology. Okay, okay, um, let's move on. Um... You have blended um, anthropology with your work, with your um, phil philanthropic work um, quite nicely, but how did that come about? Um, you have a, a number of positions working in this space. Can you provide us with a couple of those positions and a description of the work you were doing? I mean, you've done quite a bit of that already, but this is to include the, the My Brother's Keeper initiative, which is an mm -hmm. Obama administration legacy initiative. Interesting. Yes. Tell us about that, um, as well as some of the others, but let's start with that. Okay. I was uh, very fortunate to start traveling the world at a relatively early age in college. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my degrees is from the um, Georgetown University in Washington, DC. Uh, and um, it 
one of the, I was a dual major there and as an African studies um, degree recipient, one had to do original research in Africa. And I, it was a life-changing experience, really exposing me to the role of culture and history in development uh, issues and in also any type of business. One has to understand the worldview of the people with whom you're working. Um, mm -hmm. Institutions have cultures and those cultures represent sort of the accumulation of historical factors in that particular social milieu, whether it's a, a country, an organization or a neighborhood. So my vision very early on was that I would be able to do development and business across cultures and really meet people where they were, understand their perspective, their goals from the inside out and act as a bridge between or people of diverse backgrounds and countries. Therefore, I pursued an, a cultural anthropology degree and then a technical degree in urban design uh, at, for my master's and PhD. Mm -hmm. And so quickly I started to be hired as someone to help companies and in particular foundations understand issues such as uh, community engagement and participation, what's now called localization, how you take um, a manufactured product like, um, or, or services like uh, philanthropy and um, develop resources to support the nonprofit sector in different ethnic communities and also in different countries and cultures. So to give you some examples, uh, the clearest example is the one that I'm working on now. Mm -hmm. is working across different countries, how do you actually develop user-friendly practical technology that will help people in very different circumstances address a common issue, um, which is how to live in a community that has decreasing supplies of water, where the temperature is rising to uh, so consistently uh, to uncomfortable levels that there is drought. How do you uh, engage companies who may and funders who may not know much about these communities or have networks? How do they? How can they develop networks so that they can find innovators and potential companies that might address? climate change in their local communities, but also be able to be scaled and replicated across very diverse communities mm -hmm. facing similar climate change problems. Um, I have helped tech startups design technology uh, in the healthcare space to quickly assess the holistic health of um, vulnerable people mm -hmm. and track their, the progress of that health in 35 different languages. And as you know, a language is not just a language, 
Uh, it is an, an extension of culture. And so really understanding how to translate technology for good in diverse uh, circumstances to improve people's lives. Um, I have worked with the Federal Reserve Bank and other banks to develop alternative mortgage and other uh, finance products mm -hmm. for communities and markets that have religious prohibitions against paying interest, which is a very interesting. Yeah, product, but many people, um, in fact, paying interest is um, a, a cultural taboo in most Muslim uh, communities. And so from an international finance perspective, how do you, how can you create an interest-free um, mortgage or loan mm -hmm. uh, product that also is profitable? And so I, I have a career where I work on these sticky, complex, uh, intercultural and international product and service and social justice uh, issues, helping um, diverse institutions from banks to foundation, philanthropies, NGOs, and technology organizations uh, develop um, technology and services that make people's lives better mm -hmm. and expand my, my real goal is to pay it forward. I have been very fortunate in my life, having come from very humble circumstances myself, and needing to develop the skills and navigate various systems that didn't necessarily um, see me as a person who was supposed to be in those systems, um, hone some skills and, and mm -hmm. accessing capital and growing capital and I've been fortunate to have a career actually for 40 years where basically I'm trying to create new strategies and innovation that expand social, economic, gender, and racial justice uh, using market tools whenever possible and advocating for better market access whenever necessary. Okay. Uh, so that's essentially, um, kind of the tie that binds my love of people right. and culture with my attempt to, to ensure the whole world has access to the means of production, money, and technology yeah. uh, to live a better life. Okay, so from something I've never heard of, which is what you've just talked about in that um, for religious reasons, certain groups do not pay, pay interest. Um, to something that I've heard quite a bit about, but it'd be great if you can sort of expand on it for me. Um, what is impact investing and, and how does this um, philanthropic tool leverage financial capital and human resources to, to get important community projects off the ground? Real world examples would be great. Okay, fantastic. So impact investing is basically a form of socially uh, responsible investing and e environmentally responsible investing, whereby investors look for companies to invest in that are conscious and um, 
have principles to be responsible to people and the planet. And so I will give you an example. There are uh, many institutions, foundations that do what is called mission-based investing. For mm -hmm. example, a foundation might focus on um, children's health. Mm -hmm. And therefore that foundation might decide not to invest in tobacco companies because secondhand smoke from um, children. Or to give you another example, increasingly um, there is a movement and millennials in particular uh, are very concerned about ensuring that their investments are environmentally and socially responsible. So there are investors who will not um, support um, companies that um, do not have responsible carbon emissions policies and practices, because of course, the high level of carbon emissions are accelerating, is accelerating uh, climate change and its, its negative impact on the world. I will say that this is a, move, a movement, um, a type of investing that has increased 200% over the past about, uh, approximately five years. Mm -hmm. And according to some estimates, it is a, a 700 billion to $41 trillion global market. Uh, the WISE Fund is developing a impact investing pool that we call the People's Impact Fund mm -hmm. that will allow everyday people to invest in um, climate impact technology organizations in our portfolio. Uh, there are tools available through crowdfunding now, whereby you don't need to be a wealthy individual to do um, environmentally and socially responsible investing. There are screens available that an everyday person can use before deciding to invest in a company. Mm -hmm. there, are, um, there are investment funds like the WISE Fund will have that provide a tool for individuals to support a, a group of in, um, uh, environmentally impactful companies. Uh, and in and a new movement in the field is women or people of color focused funds. They're called targeted funds mm -hmm. that in addition to being socially and environmentally responsible, try to ensure that every entrepreneur with good ideas and merit, even, even women and people of color have mm -hmm. access to funding to bring their, their ideas to the market and improve our societies and our planet. So I would encourage people to um, seek out funds like the WISE Fund uh, if their employer is providing a pension, ask if the employer has a uh, socially responsible 
um, investment strategy and what it is and just be very conscious of how we use our money mm -hmm. because if we are using it responsibly, asking questions, holding our governments and other investment managers um, accountable for being protecting the planet and our people, we will all have better access to opportunity. Okay, and, um, and this one is an interesting question. It's sort of an add-on add to what you were talking about, but it's sort of moving it slightly away. Uh, have you noticed a change, a cooling off in terms of investing and in, um, philanthropy help as a result of the pandemic? I haven't noticed a cooling off mm -hmm. in the quantity. The studies that are coming out uh, for example, I will mention a major study just done by a philanthropic um, uh, university uh, department in the U.S. At, uh, called the Lilly School of Philanthropy is showing that globally foundations and individual donors have been very generous throughout COVID. And in fact, in the U.S., um, our professional association of foundations has had a uh, sort of um, COVID giving pledge mm -hmm. whereby um, many uh, funders, including the WISE Fund, uh, there's been several hundred of us had decided to um, be more flexible and, as, and accessible in um, our COVID uh, disaster aid funding. Mm -hmm. What I have seen now over the past year is that uh, many funders are, however, reverting to their standard, um, their standard practices. Um, in addition, uh, especially with the uh, global uh, social movements that emerged after the, the lynching of George Floyd, um, there were many declarations of additional, well, first I will say recognition by companies that they have not necessarily been equitable mm -hmm. in um, their funding of Black communities in particular. And they made funding pledges. And um, those funding pledges uh, were very um, encouraging and promising that there would be a sort of a seismic change mm -hmm. in um, providing equal access and opportunity to capital. However, there are questions now as many of the pledges have not yet been distributed. I was going to ask you, are you seeing these changes, but you kind of just answered the question. So um, is, yes. it still, is it still a way to the sea or has things sort of, it's got, it's died down now. It's not front page news. Is, is that what you're feeling? Um, my feeling is that there is a wait and see. Mm -hmm. uh, we do see in the corporate sector and certainly with the new um, administration, presidential administration in the US, um, more attention on the continuing unfortunate reality of racial injustice at every level of society. 
And we do see efforts to create policy that equalize uh, access and inclusion. The challenge is that um, I think many companies are still trying to figure out how mm -hmm. to be effective. I think many companies would benefit from listening to grassroots voices because uh, frankly, uh, racism in general and anti-Black racism in particular is as old as the countries and continents of, of the world. And so um, there are some tried and true effective practices. So for example, the WISE Fund is the back backbone organization for another initiative I founded called Black Philanthropy Month. Mm -hmm. which is a global celebration and movement uh, encouraging and celebrating Black philanthropy, which is a multi-billion dollar business, and also advocating for funding equity mm -hmm. from not just philanthropy, but um, business funders, those providing social investment and venture funding. And we created out of last year's Black Philanthropy Month Summit, a 10-point funding equity principle statement and a pledge that we are encouraging companies to adopt as well. And one of those, one of the very important, I'll just mention two principles is number two, share more public data on, um, on funding equity, everything from the amount of funding to the diversity of funding. So we can hold each other accountable for um, equal access, which is how we actually move the needle on racial justice and also fund grassroots companies, the community-based companies and nonprofits, which do the majority of hiring in the U.S., 60% of Black businesses have closed as a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I will just mention many women have lost uh, their careers. This, is an, this crisis is an opportunity for the world to do better on racial, gender, and environmental uh, uh, justice. And I am hopeful that there, the, the corporate sector will continue to look within and recognize that when the people who make their markets possible are better, everybody wins and profits are more sustainable. Okay, um, I, I think um, if, if possible if you could provide me with links to um, the website or to some of the, the work that you're doing, especially the, the Black Philanthropy Month um, for my listeners, we, we can put that in the episode description for those listening to this episode would like to know further detail and they can just quickly click on the link and take it from there so it'd be great if you could provide that um, at the end of this um, episode um, Jacqueline. Definitely I will provide three links in particular. Excellent that's great. So briefly um, a couple of quick questions um, if you can. Um, number one um, you, you did mention it but what are some of the other new projects you're working on that perhaps my listeners can get involved in? Yes, the main one is the, um, the main two are the funding, the global black funding equity principles and pledge 
mm -hmm. which your listeners, um, all of these one can find at our website, thewisefund.org. Mm -hmm. um, Black Philanthropy Month is uh, in its 10th year and we are planning a transformative 10 year global celebration that will include summits uh, from the US, Canada, the Caribbean, Africa, and Brazil. Uh, we also, as I mentioned, will be uh, launching the People's Impact Fund, yep. which is a uh, which will be a means for everyday people around the world to fund the terrific and very impactful um, organizations and companies in our portfolio working across the globe. We also have a global community that anyone can join. Uh, and our global community in, is unique in that um, the fee that is paid to join the community uh, offers two benefits. Once, first of all, we use the fees to fund our innovators. Mm -hmm. And so it's another way um, from uh, the People's Impact, Impact Fund, mm -hmm. you can make an investment and get a um, annual return mm -hmm. for your investment in our companies through our Wise U community. You can, you're basically making grant, grants, mm -hmm. uh, donations to our organizations. And in addition, we provide coaching uh, through an excellent international network of coaches that we have on our platform. Uh, these are hard times for anyone um, in terms of many people um, pivoting in career, trying to find out new ways to integrate family and career. And we have life and career coaches who can work with any of our members online to help them develop transformative plans to achieve their life and career goals. And so I would encourage people to join the YSU community. <clears throat> and um, you can find all of these resources at thewisefund.org. For Black Philanthropy Month, we have a specialized website simply called blackphilanthropymonth.com where you will be able to find the registration links and more background information okay. on this global initiative that has now involved 18 million people. That's great. Okay. I did say briefly, but so for the second one, can you make it slightly briefer? What collaborations would you like um, your organizations to have going forward and why? Um, my vision is that we will become a feeder system for the larger venture capital and impact investing companies in the world that uh, feel that they don't have access to a diverse pipeline of, of companies uh, to address climate change. Uh, mm -hmm. So that is one new partnership that we are very much um, looking for. We also are fortunate to be supported by pro bono professionals uh, providing legal uh, services. Uh, we're trying to expand um, our access to pro bono 
accounting services, all of which help our companies immensely um, build their capacity to access their, their patents needed um, and um, develop their governance structures as they continue to scale. Okay, okay. Um, you are on a mission. Um, you clearly state that um, earlier on. Let's end on um, Jacqueline's mission, goals and ambition. Let's talk about your ultimate goal as outlined by you in your website. Your mission is to save the planet. What happened? What was or were the triggers of this? What did you see on your travels to make you want to do this? You briefly talked about it earlier on, but if you can expand on that, what are you doing? And perhaps quite somber, but a necessary question, are we too late? No, it is not too late. Um, so I'll briefly try to touch all of the points. This is really, you have three questions in one. <laughs> uh, so, so first of all, um, I'm very conscious of history and also my personal history in it. And I would like people to recognize that we're all agents of history and what we do or don't do every single day together with people across the world creates our future. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a community that was very polluted. I have traveled and funded and worked with people across the world where climate change is impacting their health and their quality of life. A really watershed moment for me was working in Australia, uh, which was my first, it was my first visit in the summer of 2019 where I met wonderful people of all backgrounds, women technologists doing great work. And mm. one day after I got home, the entire continent was burning in mm. what is now called the Black Summer. That propelled me to think about what I could do with my experiences and my resources, especially as a Californian who has to endure wildfire Mm -hmm. for about six months of every year. And that experience led me to change career directions, quit my job and create the WISE Fund. Because I know that there are women technologists and other innovators across the world with solutions. And if they had equal access to funding and when they get funding, they actually make things better. I will give the example of Magic Water, a company in Kenya that can actually create drinkable water from thin, thin air. They are expanding from Kenya and are in South Africa and India. The UN says that there will be 1.8 billion people in just four years in two, 2025 who will not have access to clean, drinkable water. And that includes some communities and wealthy countries is a global issue. If we fund technology organizations that are for the people and by the people, we can make a real difference on climate change. Not just technology companies and all the technology can be useful, but responsible technology companies mm -hmm. that are not polluting the planet to produce their product 
um, that are affordable and accessible. For example, most solar in the US is not accessible to the average person. There are companies uh, like uh, We Solar in the US, a company um, that works in low-income urban areas and basically sells um, clean solar-powered electricity to households so that they can skip the infrastructure of solar panels. I would like for all of your listeners to go to thewisefund.org and simply read the stories of all of our innovators. Mm -hmm. They will walk away with a sense of hope about what's possible and fund them so that they can bring their innovations to market. The other, there's sort of, that's one thing you can do. The other thing everyday people can do is to use their money wisely. Support organizations like the Wise Fund, but ensure your investments, your purchases are green and clean. That they are, they are supporting a regeneration of our environment because the air and the water and the lands we, we breathe and drink and the lands we live on are sick. Mm -hmm. And so make consumer choices that actually heal the planet. Third, ensure that our governments understand that this is a priority, that we expect them to regenerate the planet for our time mm -hmm. and certainly for our children. So that the one of the most basic rights is to drink water, clean water, mm -hmm. breathe clean air, to be able to grow plants that feed us. And we have the capacity to make this real if we ensure our governments are environmentally friendly. Okay, well, it's, it's comforting to know um, we're not too late. Well, not yet. Um, let's hope it stays that well. Stay it's all in our hands. Yes. It depends on what yeah. we do. Indeed, indeed. Jacqueline Bouvier Copeland, it's been a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.